Hi, welcome to my creativity. about being creative and producing output. I'm your host, Surrey. I'll reveal how I work, my projects, my process, well, my creativity, from the planning and goal setting to how I stay accountable for my output, to the way ideas pop into my head and the frameworks I use to stimulate my creativity and formalize it. Each week I go over my previous set of goals and at the end of the episode, I produce some new goals. So let's get stuck straight into it. Last week's goals were to do some cycling and to do my exercises, my therapeutic exercises for my hips. Cycling, I tried, but I broke my bike. My gear derailleur at the rear shifted up to first gear and it was not adjusted correctly. It actually hit my spokes and then got ripped off. So that's a shame. I've got a brand new one I've purchased and I'll be repairing my bike shortly. Another thing, fixing my hips and exercising in general. Uh, We're coming into winter. We're in winter now in Australia. And one of the things that happens where I live here in Mandra is we get tremendously strong windstorms coming in from the uh, west, coming straight off the Indian Ocean. These windstorms are strong enough that in the past sort of five years, all of my fences have been blown down. Most recently, uh, my fence on my uphill neighbor side has been blown down. Sadly, uh, well, not sadly, I got a quote, but I got a quote and the fencing guy came out and he added another $1,400 for some concrete work, which I didn't understand too much at the time. Insurance won't cover that. It'll cover the fence, but not the extra bits. So I got a second guy in to quote because I was going, well, let's get a second opinion. This second fellow looked and noticed there's a 40 centimeter difference in height between my neighbor's side and my side. Previously, the fence had kind of been working as a retaining wall, holding that in. The fence has fallen over now. It's no longer doing that job. It, It shouldn't have been doing that job in the first place. And he pointed out that if he were to try and put any fence in now, it would just fall over again. So until my side is retained, he won't touch it, which explains the $1,400 the other contractor wanted for concrete work. Although I'm not convinced now that that extra work would have been enough. So this past week, I have been shoveling sand. I have calculated how much I've moved. I've shifted about four metric tons of sand these past three days and that's just with a shovel because there's not enough room to get a mechanized digger in there so that's that's my exercise for this coming week I am building retaining walls for about 1.2 meters worth of depth okay the next thing was short story and to fix book one of exit plan I've started fixing books one I've got some ideas down about how I'm going to uh, break it up a bit spice it up make it good 
it's not going to change the story at all. It's just going to sort of uh, remove any of the boring bits and replace them with something a bit more interesting. So, and that gets people to know me better. Know me. Know the character. It's in first person, so you get the idea. And uh, I've worked my short story. So here's an interesting thing. I've been having trouble finding the time, or making the time, I should say, to be as productive as I was when I was going to work every day. Because presently I'm working from home, which means I just go out to my back room, which is my office, and sit down on the computer and I start work. When I went up to the office, I had the one-hour train commute each direction, which I used to be constructive and creative. And it's been difficult to recreate that effect because... As soon as I finish work at 5 o'clock, the kids are home. They want to play with me. They, yeah, my wife doesn't want to have to put up with kids all by herself. If you've got kids, you'd understand. So I haven't been making the time as I should have. So instead, I've been taking some uh, efforts to find another way of getting this to work. I went out to a cafe in the morning because here in Western Australia, we've had very or basically no COVID cases for the past sort of month, so the sun opened things up a bit, and then that didn't work out so much. And then I went to the library. The library smells like hospital grade disinfectant, which is not conducive to working because I don't like that smell. It reminds me of being in hospital, which is not good. Uh, but I've made contact with a local shared workspace here in Mandra, which has reasonable prices, and I'm thinking of getting. I have some hours each week to go in there and use one of their desks to, to, to force myself into productivity. So that's that. This week, what I wanted to talk to you about is speaking of writing, and this is writing, but it works for any sort of productivity or creativity you're trying to do. And that is feedback is very important. If you want to improve... You have to do some work, you have to get some feedback, then you have to take the best part of that feedback and incorporate it into new work, which you then cycle back into more feedback and so forth. I had the opportunity to do some proofreading for a fellow author, uh, beta reading. So he'd, he'd written some work and he wanted to improve it and improve himself. And so it was up to me to read critically. So I thought I might talk a bit about that. So when we buy a book and we sit down to enjoy a story, be involved in some characters' lives and have some fun, it's quite a different situation to when we're reading someone else's writing to provide critical feedback. So what sort of things should we do when reading critically and what sort of feedback should we give? So it's important to remember when reading another writer's work that they have spent a lot of effort and exposed some part of themselves through their work. They'll be so close to it they won't see the warts or rough edges. Try telling a new mother that their child isn't cute. You won't like the result. However, it shouldn't stop you from being critical about an author's work, just sensitive to the way the criticism may be received. It may be a good idea to warn the author before you start reading that you will be critical, that even the greatest work ever written has elements to it that would elicit a note or query. So having dispensed with the appropriate warning to the author, you can get on with the reading. 
And this is the procedure I use, and I've seen others use it too. Number one, read the work through from start to end. Put the red pen down, or the metaphorical red pen, and read the chapter passage through without making any, any edits or taking notes. It's important that you get the context of the writing so you understand what sort of feeling, flavor, and mood the author is aiming for. It may well be that certain aspects of the story are written in a particular way on purpose to provide a specific feeling. Number two, go to the start and read each sentence, then paragraph. When you start being critical, read a sentence, analyze it, then read the paragraph it is in. Often reading it out loud can help. Number three, make notes. More on that later. Number four, writing a summary at the end. The summary should point out something positive up front. Tell the author you liked character X because of reason A, or tell them about a particular metaphor that worked well. By giving some praise, and make sure it is genuine, you'll help to set the author in the correct constructive mindset. Then, make general comments about how the writing flows, what impressions you got, and any general areas for improvement. Don't go too overboard with praise, and don't be personal in your criticism. The author wants feedback on this particular bit of writing, not on how to live their lives or why they will always fail. Make notes. A little bit general. So what notes should you take and what do you do to analyze the work? Here's a quick list of points to think about. 1. Adjectives and verb use. In short, if you see an ly word in front of a verb, See if there is another verb that indicates the sense the adjective is trying to provide. Here's a basic example to illustrate. The man walked... Sorry, let's try that again. The man slowly walked down the path. Slowly describes the way the man walked. But is there a better verb than walk that incorporates the sense of being slow? Perhaps the man meandered down the path, or the man trudged down the path, or the man slunk down the path. These are just three possible alternatives to the word slowly. Keep an eye on the L-Y, and you'll quickly come to use it and quickly see how a sentence can be more interesting without it. Of course, sometimes you want to use the uh, adjective on purpose. Words surplus to requirements, which is a little bit of a joke I have. It's pretty crap, I know, but it illustrates point two. Often when writing, we fall into patterns we use when speaking. The problem is that speech and writing are very different communication methods and can't be interchanged. Sentences can become bloated and rendered less effective by excess wordage. Using my joke as an example, we can see the word surplus already means in excess of what is required. Otherwise, it wouldn't be surplus. So to say surplus to requirements is a tautology. It would be like saying in excess of required requirements. So the revised sentence would be surplus words. Sorry, the full sentence would be cut out surplus words. Some words that should be looked at with particular care. Up, down, in, out, and back. For example, he sat down on the chair. Could become, he sat on the chair. Or, he sat down and on 
are often superfluous. And unless you want to contrast with other people sitting on the ground, you don't have to mention the chair. Purple prose. So sentences that run on with many commas, dashes, and bracketed insects insects can be difficult to understand. There is a time and place, as is the case in all writing, for such structure as applied to sentences as a way of changing pace or indicating a particular personality. You just need to be careful not to overdo it. That was my example. This is one reason you need to read the complete piece through before editing. It may well be the story has a point of view character who thinks in convoluted circles and purple prose is one way the author could be portraying that. On the other hand, it is often not the case. Tense. Generally, stories are written in the past tense, but there are a couple of past tenses to think about. Huh? Yes, if you're describing what had happened prior to the current events while using past tense, you have another kind of past tense. A linguist could probably tell you the correct name for it, but I call it past past tense. For example, he leaned forward and thought about he had joked at the choked. He leaned forward and thought about how he had laughed at the joke as compared as compared to he leaned forward and laughed at the joke. The first sentence includes the past past tense, while the second is the usual past tense. The main difference is the use of the word had. Mistakes often occur when one character is remembering an event or describing an event to another character. So then your point of view. Usually we write any given scene in one point of view. That is, one character is observing the world and the reader observes along with them. That means we only know the direct thoughts and emotions of the current point of view character and can only suppose the intentions and thoughts of others. This most often comes up during conversations when you add action modifiers. For example, and I love this one. I'm fine, he lied. That sentence works fine if the he is the point of view character. Otherwise, how do we know he lied? If there is some telltale way of knowing about the lie, describe it rather than telling us that he lied. Scene consistency. When a writer writes a scene, they often have a very vivid picture in their mind of what is going on. The unfortunate thing is the reader may not have that same picture if the author doesn't write it. The author may also edit the scene later on and forget to keep track of everything. So During an action sequence, make notes or draw a diagram of what is going on and who is holding what. It's easier for a swordsman to be disarmed in one sentence and then the next, he stabs his opponent. Where did the sword come from? 7. Pace. This is another reason to read the piece through completely first. If you need to get a... If. You need to get a sense of how fast things are moving. A scene is too quick when you get to the end and feel surprised there isn't more. It is too long when you stop halfway and quickly scan down the page to see where it ends. I've done that a number of times. You're reading a chapter or something and you sort of take a pause, you have a bit of a breath and you flip a few pages to see when this chapter ends. You know, It's going a bit slow. 
So ways to speed up a scene include adding dialogue and using more abstract metaphors and similes. To slow a scene down, add some extra description of those things that leave you wanting more. Correct word usage. Sometimes we use words thinking they mean one thing when they mean something else. Double check any odd words used to make sure they make sense. Finally, anything weird. Make a note of anything that makes you stop and say, huh? If you don't get it on the first read and you need to reread it to figure it out, highlight it and tell the author. They may want it to be a little odd, but chances are you found a victim of the edit monster. There are, of course, plenty of more things to look at than what I've just mentioned above. But if you go through those above nine things, you will have helped an author get his wings. Or, I don't know that authors get wings. Horns? No, I don't know. You'll have helped an author. So, my next set of goals. And this is interesting. My set of goal, okay, I'm going to give up on the um, the previous, not give up, I'm still continuing the other goals, I'm not going to mention them. We all know that I'm going to be doing exercise, I'm going to be doing my short story, fixing my book one. Let's talk about finding a, a place to do my work. Yeah, let's do that. So finding uh, a place to write. Because I need to find my new mojo. Like I'm going to be working from home for the foreseeable future. Like until COVID-19 disappears or we get a vaccine and make it disappear, I'm going to be working from home. Uh, I might go into the office occasionally now and then for a little meeting because it is relatively safe here in Australia. And although Victoria's just had a bit of a, a flare-up, but. In general, I'm going to be working from home, which means I need to find a way of making myself productive here. And I'm thinking it's going to be renting a space and moving out in the mornings, doing the writing, coming back. Next. Oh, this is something. So I was in a writing group up on Tuesday, up in Perth on Tuesday evenings. I would like to get back to that, but we'll see about the whole work business. Um, but I'm thinking of setting up a, a meetup down here more locally at the local library. Yes, I'm going to look into that. You'll hear more about that next week. Oh, you know what else? I'm going to do a photo shoot and video uh, for Space Brains. So Space Brains is my other podcast that's active at the moment. It's a science fiction movie discussion show. I discuss science fiction movies with my good friend, He's a media studies teacher at uni, and I'm a computer nerd who loves science. So each each two weeks, we watch a science fiction movie, and then we get together and we talk about what's good and what's great about it. We're doing a bit of a photo shoot and a promo video for that, and I've got to get that done. So, that's everything. Try doing a... Uh, Helping a creative out and being a bit critical of their work. Using my above points, of course. Until next time, see ya.